Who's going to take care of me? <laughs> um, excuse me, you don't think I'm going to take care of you? But when you die... From the darkest corners of Chicago, this is the unenthusiastic critic's Halloween movie marathon. Hello everyone and welcome to the unenthusiastic critic. I'm Michael McDonough, I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Joining me, and it's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On today's episode, Nakia and I continue our 2020 Halloween movie marathon with a recent horror film that seems already to have catapulted to cult classic status, Ari Aster's Hereditary from 2018. But first, Nakia, before we get to the movie... We've been doing this Halloween marathon for three years now on the podcast, and we've talked about a lot of subjects related to horror movies and the paranormal and what have you. I'm not 100% sure we've actually ever talked about Halloween itself. Have we? I would thought so. But yeah, I would have thought so too, but I don't think we have. Possibly in our real lives, but I guess if it didn't happen on the podcast, <laughs> then it didn't happen, then right? Then it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. count. Okay. It's not on the podcast. It doesn't count. <laughs> Uh, what was Halloween like for you when you were a kid? Um, so I only have a memory of like two or three Halloweens, so I don't know if we stopped really doing Halloween or if they just weren't memorable enough to really remember. I'm sort of that, like I can only name like a couple of costumes yeah. I wore, and I must have worn a costume every year, but I don't remember. I would think I did as well, but yeah, I don't, I have memory of a couple, but not, okay. yeah. Did you trick-or-treat, or had they outlawed trick-or-treating by the time you were a kid? No, trick-or-treating was still a thing okay. when I was a kid, so we did go around, but it was, you know, the standard, oh, they could be putting things in your candy or yeah. whatever, but yeah, so we- Which never happened no, anywhere never happened. in the world. No, But yeah, so we trick-or-treated. Did you, so you were in, because you grew up in a city. Yes. Did you just trick-or-treat to people you knew? Or oh, no. Or was it just... Yeah, okay. no, totally. Because <laughs> I, I grew up in a town of like 2,000 people. We knew everybody. So oh, anywhere yeah. you went in town, uh-huh. you... No, it was... You just go to anybody's house. Just random just strangers' random houses. strangers taking food from random that strangers. That does seem a little reckless, actually. I'm not sure I would let my kids do <laughs> and that. And yet I survived and never bit down on a razor blade. So <laughs> I think it's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, what, was your, what was your best costume? Oh, God. I don't know that I had a best. I mean, I think probably the most coordinated was one of those. They used to sell them in Walgreens, and they probably still do, where it was just a plastic mask with, like, the little uh-huh. ribbon that went around your head. The, the like, elastic. The elastic band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then basically, like, a smock. A plastic smock. That just had a, a costume printed I on had it. The, I had the Spider-Man. The very first costume I ever remember wearing was the plastic Spider-Man outfit. I was She-Ra, so I had okay. She-Ra, we which was... A team up. I mean... Thinking back on it now, that was me and Whiteface because the mask was white um, <laughs> and blonde. Like I a think blonde. we have a picture of that. I think I do have a picture I think, I think of that I might Halloween, have to post that. which may be why it's sort of <laughs> embedded in my brain. But that was probably the most like, okay, that's an actual costume. Mm-hmm. Everything after that was me and my mom probably cobbling something together from like my grandma's wigs and right. just you know figuring it out. So yeah, the thing about those plastic 
Halloween costumes, mm -hmm. they were not warm. No. So if you're trick-or-treating on October 31st, yeah. I remember wearing those sorts of costumes and you had to put a coat over it. Yeah. And then what's the point? Well, you know. And those masks were The masks were dangerous. Well, and they were also dangerous because <laughs> I feel like they were not conducive to breathing, really. <laughs> or uh, seeing. Or seeing. So <laughs> the whole thing was just, it was a flammable... <laughs> suffocating thing that we paid whatever what 1999 for or whatever it was um so yeah no they were not those were not top of the line costumes there okay my best costume and my brother my older brother gets most of the credit for making this costume mm -hmm. was a captain america costume mm. and i remember it as being virtually perfect it it probably wasn't but i remember i had the boots that were spray painted red i had a nylon mask and i had a shield that was the most awesome thing ever what was it made out of it was made out of a saucer for sledding oh. but back then they made saucers out of metal yeah so it was, no, those it things was were metal traps. you i think you actually could have decapitated somebody <laughs> with this thing if you got if you threw it uh, but it was great. We kept the shield for years and, you know, we'd throw things at each other and you had to block it with the shield. Yes, and you it guys was great. played reckless games. <laughs> what about when you were older? Did you, you, you were not one of those kids that was out like egging houses. Oh no, and, no. That's not your I nature. never had you any desire too, to do any of that. Too much of a goody goody It wasn't that. even about being a good, but like, that's just a dick thing to do, isn't <laughs> well, it? Well, it is. <laughs> I, I guess, I, I guess, sort of the point. People trying to take care of their home. One night a year, you get to be a dick. I, I don't, don't know. No, that didn't. No, I don't even remember anybody in my neighborhood egging homes or anything yeah. like that. So I'm not sure how much that happened. Or like teeping. Like I don't remember. Ever I did it a couple of times. Seeing anything as like a that. Teenager. It would have been, I think, probably like preteen. You know, twelve or thirteen. And it wasn't like my friends from school were. We were all pretty good kids we mm -hmm. didn't do that sort of thing but there were some older kids in my neighborhood and i think i went out with them a couple of times and probably threw some eggs and then felt bad about it probably felt, felt bad about felt, it felt a lot of shame and also again this was a town of two thousand people everyone had to have known there weren't that many kids around right, yeah like they probably knew exactly who was doing it yeah. so yeah um when was the last time you dressed up oh god well that wasn't that long ago because we went to a red moon party we did yes was that had to be five maybe five years ago five years maybe ago. a little more than that and i was a quote-unquote witch which Is that again, what you were exactly because it really was <laughs> I bought a wig. I thought of that when you said you and your mother used to cobble these outfits yeah. together. Because that was one of those. I'm not sure what yeah. you are. You looked good. Right. But it not wasn't sure that far really from what I wear on a normal yeah. basis. It was just all black. And then I, I basically just piled on all of my gold jewelry. And then I think I bought like a headpiece that was sort of like a snake or something with a skull. Mm -hmm. It was very like, you definitely had to ask me what the hell I was going for in that moment. <laughs> I mean, once you get older, it's like, what's, at least for me, what's the least that I can do to still feel like I'm participating <laughs> and not being like the Debbie Downers that's just right, coming not look like the dick who just right, didn't exactly. wear a costume. Right, exactly. So I, I do enough to get by <laughs> and not have to spend a whole lot of money on something that I'm never going to wear again. And, and that's what I do. You, however, I did. That was the one time in my adult life I went all out. You I, were Nosferatu and you I took that shit serious. Is like yeah, there were there were like makeup trials. Yeah, I had like to do a were, trial run yeah. with the makeup, and then I tried to perfect it. And you had yeah. the press on nails, and what's having? Yeah. yeah, we yeah, that was you you yeah, 
you went all out. <laughs> and I haven't done it since then. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's get to the the really contentious point here, since I know you and I disagree on virtually everything. Yes. When you were a kid mm-hmm. and you're trick or treating, mm-hmm. what was the best thing somebody could be giving you um the best candy like oh that house is given out so snickers reese's twix three musketeers were probably like my my winners those were the ones that you know would get eaten first okay and everything else. So a lot of chocolate a lot of chocolate some now laters jolly ranchers some of that but okay, I I was, jolly ranchers it was mostly about the you know the 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 chocolate. And and what was the worst thing people could give out? <sighs> candy corn. Okay, this is where you're wrong. Candy corn and there was a war against candy corn. Oh my god. Every This is like year, a bullshit war on Christmas. Yeah, there is no every war. Every year on, on Twitter candy people corn. are shitting on candy corn. I because love candy it's trash. corn. It's like I could eat like a five pound bag of candy it's corn right like now. Like melted candle wax that they painted. Yes. It's disgusting. Like it's just <laughs> I do not understand. There there's really no discernible flake like the fl- it's just it's a waste of calories it's a waste of sugar if you're gonna have a treat have a fucking treat don't eat it's just sadness i could eat that stuff like popcorn it's just disgusting so stuff like that smarties smarties terrible were, smarty i love smarties that's one no. of my top no that would be the first thing i'd eat out of my halloween bag no with smarties and sweet tarts no you're wrong it's like you grew up in the depression and you don't know what good candy is. Like you don't know how good candy can be and you're just chewing on chalk and it's sad. It makes me sad for you. It's it's a shame really. Someone on Twitter I saw that there was a meme of people drawing Trump faces on their candy corn. So I feel like that I saw pretty that. much See, this is what I'm talking about the war. Seals the deal. Well, I mean candy corn for all of us. And that should that should end it, really. We should okay. all just be done with candy corn. We're we're getting some candy corn. This we are Halloween. not getting any candy corn. We're gonna give out candy corn. We are not. So you want your house egged? That's how you get your shit egged. <laughs> Handing out candy corn. I think kids would rather get toothbrushes than candy corn. I don't remember getting the can the, like the candy corn wasn't wrapped or anything. No, you get like loose. You just candy. got like a handful yeah. of, of loose candy. Corn. It was a thing where it's like shit coming out of your grandma's probably, purse that prob- had like probably frown on that. Tastes now. like keys. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird. Probably shouldn't be eating this. Not good. We don't. We have never gotten a single trick or treat. No, well, we've always Chicago. lived in apartment buildings, and I think that that just isn't just conducive do to to trick or treaters. So no. I don't even see them out. That's why I said it had been outlawed because I don't even see well, trick or treaters out. I mean, they do trick or treating different now. Like they have designated places that are quote unquote safe for the kids to trick or treat, no or like the businesses now do. Just like you just go to the stores, and the stores <laughs> will give out candy. So you know it's regulated now, from what I understand. They don't let the kids just run feral across the neighborhoods anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Did you carve pumpkins? Were you a pumpkin carver? So actually, I do remember in junior high, which feels like that was late for that to be happening, but <laughs> we had pumpkin carving contests in school. So I do remember carving a pumpkin in school and taking one of my mom's old scarves. She had this, which didn't seem like her style at all, now that I'm thinking about it, but this old like Italian widow looking scarf. It had it was black and lacy and had like these red roses on it. And so I wrapped that around um my my jack-o'-lantern. Did you win? I don't think I did. I think I was robbed. Because <laughs> it feels like that would have been very dramatic. Um <laughs> It's like grieving widow pumpkin. 
you were a downer even then. I really man. was. I really was. I was poetic. Um, so yeah, so you really were born as eighty year old. Woman, I really you? was. So that's really the only time I remember. My mom wasn't. She just wasn't into that shit. Like it was just like we're not gonna buy food for you to just fuck up. Um, so. <laughs> Like we didn't dye eggs because like why am I like we're gonna eat eggs we're not you're not about to just play with food um, so anything that I did like that it was either through a friend or through school. <laughs> this this explains a lot about <laughs> you really. I was also the kid that did not like bobbing for apples because pretty much from day one I knew that that was a fucking just a- disease. <laughs> just like it's fucking gross. <laughs> one. I'm not about to dunk my head in a cesspool. cesspool of shit. So one, it's like, okay, then I'm just fucking up whatever Halloween makeup that I may have on and possibly my hair, which black girl, no. And then two, no, that's just, you're asking for all kinds of pink eye, whooping cough, whatever is coming up out of there. So never really into that. Did love candy apples, though. Would eat the hell out of a candy apple. See, I didn't like candy apples either. I would just eat basically just the caramel and the nuts off of the the top. Off the outside. Yeah, and then just like sort of toss (laughs) the apple. But So, yeah. So what are we doing for Halloween this year? I'm doing shit. Just like we haven't been doing shit for the past eight months. (laughs) (laughs) We're not doing anything. From what I've heard, they are trying to do sort of modified trick-or-treating for kids. So Mm. they, uh, Lori Lightfoot released sort of guidelines for how you could safely give candy to trick-or-treaters. I think I saw something about building a chute. Where you could, like, a chute? Shoot candy down the... Uh, like I a, think we should just huck candy at kids as they toss. go by, whether they're trick-or-treating or not. That just seems Let's wrong. just lean out the window and just throw candy Just get one of those t-shirt kids. guns and just start shooting, like... <laughs> What are those, like, uh, I want to call them mothballs, but that's not what they are. The chocolate and they're, like, malt, malt balls. Is it malt, malt balls? Is that a right. thing? But just, Malted Yes, balls, those things. Sure. But, like, find the things that are, like, projectiles and just <laughs> shoot them at kids all night. That would be fun. Candy corn. You know what? That's all it's good for is, sure, just as weaponry. <laughs> Pop, go for it. Yeah. In a town in the woods at the top of a hill, there's a house where no one lives. So you take a big bag of your big city money there and buy it But at night when the house is dark and you're all alone There's a noise upstairs At the top of the stairs there's a door and you take a deep breath and try it And the flashlight shows you something moving just inside the door dress and a feeling you have felt somewhere before And there's a creepy doll that always follows you It's got a ruined eye It's always open And there's a creepy doll that always follows you It's got a pretty mouth Okay, so what do you know about hereditary or hereditary? I'm not sure what the preferred pronunciation is. Well, I've been saying hereditary. I don't right, know if that's, that's appropriate. We'll go with that. I don't know a whole lot. I know that people really loved it. I know mm-hmm. it stars Tony Collette mm-hmm. as a troubled mother. Uh, I think that's fair to say. She's pretty pretty troubled. Uh, with potentially a troubled child or two. <laughs> uh, that's all I know. Okay. It's also got your other boy in it, Gabriel Byrne. Oh, nice, yeah. Okay, so as I said last week, this is not a case of my 
saying, oh, this is a great movie, you have mm-hmm. to watch it. This is me saying, I would like a second opinion. I okay. want to revisit this movie, and I would want your opinion on it, too. Because I did not like it the first time I watched huh. it. All right. Now, it may just be that I wasn't in the mood for it. That has happened before. The last time we did this, the last time I said this about a movie, it was when we were doing this series for the blog, and it was The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, which, again... I didn't like it all the first time I saw it, mm. and we both pretty much thought that was a masterpiece. <laughs> I just really liked the So it could be I was just wrong about this one. Okay. I, I am open to that possibility. And definitely, it's got the reputation. Mm-hmm. Last Halloween, Rolling Stone did a list of the 60 greatest horror movies of the century so far, and listed Hereditary at number three. Hmm. Behind only Get Out and 28 Days Later. And ahead of other new canon classics like The Descent, Under the Skin, Let the Right One In, The Babadook, It Follows, Cabin in the Woods, The Devil's Backbone, The Witch, and Raw. So this is my thing. Like, this is a good list. I like that list. Those are all movies I think are great. They put Hereditary ahead of all of those. Maybe I missed something. Okay. Maybe it is worth revisiting. Okay. It's not better than the Babadook. I mean, I... I don't. I fucking I don't love think the Babadook. I don't think it's better than any of those. <laughs> okay, so just a little back... And I didn't do a lot of background reading on this, because, again, I wanted to revisit it somewhat fresh. Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember what happens in it, but I, I wanted to go into it. Unbiased. Well, I'm already, well, not, I'm already not biased. There's no, there's no point are, pretending yeah. I'm not biased, yeah. but... So, directed by Ari Aster, who, I was going to ask you about this, he started to get noticed with a short film he did in 2011 called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Have you heard about this? I don't think so. I think the movie sort of resurfaced a few years ago, and there was a, a controversy about it, because it's it's a story about a family in which the mother discovers that the son has been sexually abusing the father for years. Okay. And it was an upper-class black family. That's where the controversy came from. Um, In Astor's words, he said, the headlines were all like, Jew makes black incest movie. (laughs) (laughs) I have not, I don't think I've ever heard of this. Okay, maybe we should, because I haven't seen that, so we we should maybe watch that. Wow, (laughs) See what we think of that one. Uh, But it got him noticed, and it got him (laughs) aging. I would imagine so. He apparently spent years trying to develop Hereditary, first with Danny DeVito's production company, and then it found a home at A24, which is the go-to place for upscale. Upscale films in general these days, Mm -hmm. but especially upscale horror movies. I mean, they did Green Room, Under the Skin, Ex Machina, The Witch, It Comes at Night, The Lighthouse. That, to me, is the most reliable Mm -hmm. studio slash distribution company working today. I think what they do, and this is sort of what Miramax back in the day did as well, is they actually prove that Americans will embrace good movies if you give them a chance to see them. Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, they did Moonlight. Right. And that's a movie, it's a miracle anyone saw that movie. But that's what they do, is they'll take a movie like Moonlight and they'll put it on 2,000 screens across the country, which no other studio would do because they would assume that people wouldn't see it. Right. So this movie was made for $10 million. It ended up grossing $80 million worldwide. It didn't end up getting any Oscar nominations, although I think Colette was expected to snag one that year. Mm -hmm. And that may have been how I watched it, which is not a good way to watch movies. I always try to to catch up on movies before the Oscar nominations come out. And so it's possible that I watched this with 20 other movies that I was trying to fit in in a hurry. Mm -hmm. So it's not the best way to appreciate a movie. 
This was, it was a critical hit. The critics loved this movie. It's got something like an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, interestingly, it has about a 67% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. And when it, the week it opened, it had a D plus from CinemaScore, which is the company that does polls of audience reactions. Mm -hmm. So polls in the theater of people who just saw the movie. Uh, so there's a there's a chasm there between what the critics thought of this movie and how the average person reacted to this movie. I, I thought people really loved it. Maybe I was just thinking about critics. I well, thought audiences loved it too. Some people did. <laughs> and I think that's the hard thing with these sort of like crossover movies that are a little art house, a little commercial. It's you're gonna get you're gonna get people seeing it that are expecting a traditional horror movie, mm. and they may not be happy with. <laughs> With what they get. Uh, so I'll be interested to see where you fall on that spectrum. As Owen Gleiberman wrote for Variety at the time, mainstream audiences, or at least a good portion of them, are turning on Hereditary. They think the movie is slow, odd, goofy, arty, and inexplicable. Goofy. Goofy. That's an interesting one. Uh, that's a word I might use <laughs> to describe the movie, okay. too. Okay. Did you find it scary? I did not. Okay. No. I did, I remember thinking it was a, it was trying for Artie and it was coming off silly. Mm. That was my reaction to it. Okay. It's apparently a movie that people say you need to see multiple times because the second time you know what's going on, the first time you don't. Mm. So maybe I'll like it better this time. Okay. I don't know. I had some of the same problem. Astra's follow-up movie was Midsummer, which came out last year. I never saw that, yeah. I liked that better. Uh, I, I had some of the same problems with that that I have with this. So, we'll see. We're going to go watch it. What are you expecting? You like Tony Collette. I like Tony Collette in just about everything that she does. So, I'm looking forward to that. And I like movies where it's potentially about moms hating their children. <laughs> I just, which may be why I like Babadook a little Babadook, bit. Right. Because just she's, just, crazy she's and... just like, I'm on my last fucking nerve with this kid. <laughs> so, if there's any of that, I'm usually on board. Yeah. It's possible you might like this more than I do. <laughs> All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about Hereditary. Come on, Peter. Here's your suit. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's Grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Oh my God! What's that? She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you die. And she wasn't altogether there. At the end. What's happening? Peter! 
just don't want to put any more stress on my family. And we're back. During the break, Nakia and I watched Hereditary. So, Nakia, nine times out of ten, right after we watch one of these movies for the podcast, the first thing you say to me in a usually rather dispirited voice is, I don't have anything to say about that. Mm -hmm. This time, you said, I think I liked it. (laughs) And I said, I don't have anything to say about that. Mm -hmm. So this may be a weird conversation for us. Okay. What did what did you make of Hereditary? So I'm still there. I think I liked it. I'm not sure. I may have liked parts more than the whole. Okay. It's definitely... See, I'm, I struggle to talk about this. This is where we're going to get in trouble because I really struggle to talk about the film. It was unnerving at, in, at points. It was challenging at points. It was about... 30 to 45 minutes too long. Easily. For me. <laughs> and again, usually it's you saying that, and I'm saying that yeah. movie is too long. It's, it, I feel like it was a long way to go for the conclusion that <laughs> we got. where we end up. Um, having said that, I understand why Aster wanted to take that time to really build suspense. You're basically experiencing it almost in real time with this family of this sort of compounding grief and neuroses and fear. So I get it. I didn't experience it as that. It it wasn't necessarily the most engaging experience as a viewer for me. So, okay, let's start with uh, the Halloween credentials here. Mm -hmm. Did you find it scary? Because people describe this as, oh my God, it's the scariest movie you ever saw. No. I I didn't. I mean, it's eerie. So. I agree it's unnerving. Yeah, but it's not, I don't, I don't find it to be a scary film, no. Even the parts that were supposed to be sort of jump scare, mm-hmm. scary, I didn't, they didn't work for me. No. I mean, I think they worked visually, so they, they're likely talking. I mean, there's that one good surprise <laughs> in the movie. That, Are we, we're spoiling at this point, I right? think we might have, okay. yeah, I don't see any way. Are you talking about the beheading of the yes. little girl? <laughs> but that wasn't scary. It was just like, oh no, shit. No, it wasn't scary. It was, you, your reaction to that was actually disappointing. I think people sometimes shriek at oh. that. And you were just like, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good shot. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there was that. And then there are the later scenes where Tony Collette character Annie is sort of full-on possessed at this point and creepily perched in darkened corners or ceilings. So I, I guess that's supposed yeah, to be... in the back of the shot. In the back of the right. shot. So if you're not really paying close attention, you don't really notice her, and then she may sort of startle you. That's actually the kind of thing I like. Mm-hmm. This is tangential, but I just watched The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix. Mm-hmm. That, and particularly the series they did before that, which was The Haunting of Hill House, mm-hmm. they work in the back of the frame like mm-hmm. that a lot. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it makes you paranoid as shit while you're watching it because you're always scanning the background yeah. Yeah. to see if there's something there, yeah. which is a really great place to be as a viewer of mm-hmm. a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, go ahead. So yeah, Esther used that quite a bit in this film, the sort of... People emerging from the shadows or sort of hiding just outside of line of sight. So, no, I didn't find it scary. It's definitely not one of those where it's like, oh, I'm going to have nightmares about this after. Okay. So that's a failing. <laughs> I don't know if it's a failing. I mean, not... I mean, isn't that always the goal of a horror movie? Um, 
You always say you don't like horror movies because true they give you nightmares or they, you know, once you see something you can't unsee it, yeah. that kind of thing. But I would argue some of what we would consider to be classic horror films don't necessarily do that. Like, The Exorcist doesn't really do that for me. Okay. Rosemary's Baby doesn't do that for me. Right. Um, so, the, I guess they're scary in a different way. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to sort of define. But no, there wasn't any moment really where... I don't think I jumped at all during this film. Okay. But it was unnerving. like it, So it was unsettling at moments. But. I, I think, and it's, it's one of those things where I both think it's effective and I also think it's cheap. Mm-hmm. I think the soundtrack is doing a lot it of work It does a lot of work, movie. yeah. You just get those low mm-hmm. sort of discordant tones mm-hmm. that are running underneath. I think part of why it feels cheap to me is because it's like the whole movie has that. Well, there just isn't it's a lot of exposition. I mean, it's running just, through. It, it's right. this movie is just a lot of space, really. Right. So that that was actually what you just said about exposition. That was the first thing I said to you after you watched this, and you were like sitting there trying to figure out what you thought of it. Mm-hmm. And I quoted. In an interview with Jordan Cruciola at Vulture, Astor said, Essentially, the film is about a long-lived possession ritual that is seen from the perspective of the sacrificial lambs. So, we know what they know, we learn what they learn, and I kind of wanted to make a conspiracy film without exposition. Uh, We are with these people who don't know what's happening, and we're with them in their ignorance. So... I said that to you after we watched it because that actually helped me this second time Mm -hmm. realizing what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Maybe even before we get there, let's, like you said, we're not avoiding spoilers. How did that last half hour work for you? (laughs) Because Um, I, and I told you, the first time I watched it, when it took that turn in the last half hour, I think I literally said, fuck you. (laughs) To the the screen. Just like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. It didn't work for me. I was not with the movie at that point. And this time on the second viewing, because I knew it was coming and I could look for the clues for it. Right. Ahead of time, it worked better. But how did it work for you on a first viewing? I mean, so I think it wasn't blatantly obvious, but there were plenty of sort of breadcrumbs along the way Mm -hmm. that it made that conclusion to be the logical conclusion. Now. (laughs) No, wait a minute. (laughs) Well, it did, right? Because there was the whole thing about, so fairly early in the film, Annie is at a sort of grief group session Mm -hmm. and she's talking about her family history my mom was old and she wasn't altogether there at the end and we were pretty much estranged before that so it really wasn't a huge blow but i did love her and she didn't have an easy life she had did which became extreme at the end and dementia and my father died when i was a baby from starvation Um, because he had psychotic depression. And he starved himself, which I'm sure was just as pleasant as it sounds. And then there's my brother. My older brother had schizophrenia. And when he was 16, he hanged himself in my mother's bedroom. And, of course, his suicide note blamed her, accusing her of putting people inside him. So, that was my mom's life. And she says that her brother committed suicide... Blaming Ellen, his mom, and saying she was trying to put people inside of Put people inside of me, right. So that was sort of the first, oh, okay, we're talking about possession. And even in the very first scene of the movie, the funeral scene, for it's Ellen's funeral. Right. Tony Collette is giving the very weird eulogy. I didn't know that bitch. Nobody knew that bitch. (laughs) And she actually uses the word rituals. Yes. Said she was a very private private person with private rituals and all of that. So yes. And again, at the funeral scene, you had Charlie, the youngest daughter, Mm -hmm. 
go up to her grandmother's casket and then she sort of looks back in the line of mourners and there's a very creepy gentleman who's sort of just staring at her and smiling really <laughs> like a, not a smile you smile at a funeral because it's just very right. so it's clear that something is happening there so it's i think pretty early on it was like okay this is some sort of demonic possession or something is not right and then at some point Annie has a conversation with Charlie after the funeral. And Charlie says something like, you know, grandma always wanted me to be a boy. Yes. And so there are just little things like that. I'm just like, okay, it's obvious that there's something about needing a male to do whatever it is that they're trying to do. So I didn't, I don't struggle with the conclusion of it. I struggle with how it was, how it sort of manifested visually. Because Hmm. there was a little bit of silliness about that (laughs) last scene that I just... I think it took me out of it a little bit. Well, if bit. you remember, one of the the things I read before we watched the movie used the word goofy. They and did. you reacted to that. You were like, really? Goofy? Because that's did. not. And I think there is a certain amount of goofiness to yeah. it. Yeah. It's almost like comedy played straight. That's how sort I feel. Of, sort of. Sure. I can see that. Yeah. But that final scene in the, the treehouse with all of the worshippers sort of naked and kneeling. And then the grandmother's corpse <laughs> that is like totally petrified wood at this point. Um, and then Annie's, Annie's fresh beheaded body. Equally, right. Perfectly positioned in a, in a kneeling. And it just... It's Charlie's head is on the mannequin. on this weird like straw man thing. It just felt so and and this is me like obviously I am not familiar with like rituals are demonic very, rituals. They're very staged. It's very choreographed, right? Like that's the whole point is like certain shit needs to be somewhere. But I feel like it almost felt so choreographed that it was a little bit silly and almost like I'd rather have not seen that. Uh-huh. That that somehow would have Maybe been the better ending if it was just sort of the scene of Peter falling out the window and sort of and then waking up, yeah, and, and just waking up. And I, I do, think, th- I do think that would I think be we would have known a better, better to have would have been able to intuit. So I, I feel like Aster sort of trusted the audience up until that last scene, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we got to give you everything and explain everything and show you everything right now, and that felt like a little bit of a letdown because it's like, oh, you haven't, you've been very intentional about not being overly expository and not hand-holding us through this. And then that last scene felt very much like, let's explain everything that just happened. <laughs> right. Here's Andow <laughs> yeah. to explain right. what was happening all along. Well, did you understand the plot? I think so. Did you go and look up no. articles on it? Because no. I, I admit, I did. After I, did. I watched this the first time, no. I went and read articles that were and was like, what the fuck? Because I'm not sure I would have gotten it. I think for, I got it. All right, what do you got? Lay it out for us. So... Grandma Ellen was involved. And anybody who hasn't seen this movie really should have left 15 <laughs> minutes ago, but we'll ju- we're just going to go ahead here. Grandma Ellen was involved in some weird shit. Um, <laughs> witchy shit. Witchy shit. And she became deeply embedded in this cult to Paimon, uh-huh. which is a demon god of like <laughs> one of the highest demons. Yeah, one of the eight kings one of hell. One of the eight kings of hell. Who, I've, I will admit I've never heard of Paimon no. in my... Apparently a real... Church goings. I mean, quote unquote real <laughs> demon. We're, but we're like African Methodist Episcopal. We, I don't think we get into that deep shit like that. Um, it's basically like God and the devil. Don't ask about other shit going on. We don't talk about the B squad. The minor. <laughs> minor hierarchies of hell are not of So interest. part of the cult or part of the sort of ritual of resurrecting or bringing Paimon to to Earth is that he needed... Are we gendering Paimon? 
I found there are actually articles re that refer to Paimon as a transgender spirit and criticize the movie as another example of horror movies demonizing. Interesting. Not, we're not even going to go there. I'm That's not even going to touch that. Okay, so we'll call it Paimon. <laughs> so Paimon needs a male... Preferably a male Preferably host. a male host in order to sort of manifest on Earth. So Ellen has her children, Annie and Annie's brother. At some point, Ellen tried to possess Put Paimon in Ellen's Annie's brother. brother. That didn't work out. He killed himself. <laughs> so she says, okay, well, we'll have some grandkids. Annie also says her father starved himself to death. He did, yes. He suffered from another like weird... some sort of schizophrenia or something like that, she said. Right. So again, whether that was Possible. related to the same thing. But no, because it needed to be a bloodline. So it, wouldn't, it couldn't have been the father. I don't know. Because is it hereditary? The whole point of hereditary is like you share bloodlines. I guess. So okay. That wouldn't I don't think that transfer would have worked, but this is this is me <laughs> making sense out of no sense, right? Um so Annie gets pregnant with Peter mm -hmm. and she and her mother have had a very difficult relationship, and she basically shuts her mom off from the entire pregnancy. Right. And what we actually... She, she protect, she kept grandma right. away from Peter. She wouldn't right. let... She says, I wouldn't let her have him, or yes. something like that. And we come to find out that Annie did not want Peter. She has a very ugly dream conversation <laughs> with him. <laughs> yeah. That's about, like, I didn't want to be your mom, you know, but it was to protect you. So it doesn't sound like she didn't actually. I was pressured into right, having. I was pressured into having you. This tried, is actually a pro-choice film. I tried if it is to have a miscarriage. Else. It is really about choice. Um, but we obviously. You're saying abortion could have avoided abortion all Abortion could have avoided all of yeah. It's like, make your choices. People should have children they want to have. Exactly. Not ones that can be possessed by <laughs> demon spirits uh, on behalf of their grandma others anyway so she didn't want peter she didn't know why she didn't want peter or she may have subconsciously knew why she didn't want peter but she did attempt to miscarry multiple times and it didn't work <laughs> but she was able to sort of protect peter from the grandmother mm -hmm. then she gets pregnant again with charlie the youngest daughter and at that point she and her mom had sort of reconciled and was so she was back in her life and we come to find out that her grandma actually breastfed charlie which <laughs> How did that happen? Or, yeah, yeah. And unquestioned. There's like, a weird shot of her mini. She does these miniature mm -hmm. diorama things, and there's a weird shot of the grandmother yeah. offering the breast. So to me, that's like <laughs> she's obviously you know given a teat to a demon. So why are we even going down this road? So yes, so she is able to instill the spirit of Paimon into Charlie, who from scene one. <laughs> Is clearly evil incarnate. And I don't understand. She's a very sweet. She is not sweet. Nervous, awkward little girl. Very odd. And she makes the clicking noise with her mouth. And she's. Which, by the way, that to me is the creepiest thing in that the is movie creepy. is that sound. It is creepy. It is very effective after Charlie dies yes. and they have that sound happening and people don't are freaking out because, yeah. like, Charlie's dead. Why am I still hearing that noise? That is actually a very effect effective device. Right. So she's cutting off the heads of birds. <laughs> and we're a kid. At the very least, should be in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> if not it's amazing how every movie we watch you say that therapy you need therapy or you need to dump the kid in the river because the kid is clearly <laughs> a problem and nobody is acknowledging it sidebar yes and maybe this is like rules of demon possession that the demon can't fix the shit that's wrong with the host okay i don't i think you just made that rule up but okay well this is what i'm asking uh-huh she had a peanut allergy <laughs> 
It's a demon with a peanut allergy. Like, that is. When you just sort of magic that away. Just kind of. <laughs> it's just bad for your own shit, right? Like you're trying to survive as a spirit. Maybe that's why Paymon needed to get out of her. Because you, you had know. a peanut allergy? Yeah. Okay. So that is that Maybe was one of the things Paimon that was bugging me. Reese's Peanut Butter Cops. The and... whole film was like, why would he just fix the peanut allergy? <laughs> Maybe he caused the peanut allergy. He didn't cause a peanut allergy. Why would he cause a peanut allergy? Um, you know, maybe having a demon in you. Maybe all the kids that have peanut allergies, what they really have is a demon inside them. I don't know. Okay, well, get rid of them. <laughs> let's, let's throw those EpiPens away. Anyway, so, yeah, that was, I had that whole, like, thinking in my head of, like, would a, why would a demon, like, couldn't you just fix the peanut allergy and, like, that would go away. But apparently... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. That's what was happening. No, I think that's the most important question. During I think the we quiet get, moments. Let's just talk about that the rest of the time. During the episode. quiet moments when I was like, this is going on too long. Why the fuck does she have a peanut allergy? <laughs> <laughs> it bugged the shit out of me. <laughs> and why do you have a child who has a peanut allergy and you never seem to have an EpiPen on you? I don't yeah, even that, understand. That's how a better that question. So anyway. Yes, Charlie is clearly evil from day one, but we're just not going to be talking about that. To the point where, again, going back to that conversation between Charlie and Annie after the funeral, where she says, you know, Grandma wanted me to be a boy and etc. Annie looks over to the wall on the side of Charlie's bed and it says, like, Satan. Yeah. Satan-y or something like that. And so it's like, all right. (laughs) Evil child. Evil child. Put her out on the curb. Put her out on the curb. (laughs) Done and done, right? (laughs) This is why I'm not a mother. Or the star of a horror movie. Right, exactly. Because I'm just like, hmm. Any little thing, I would immediately be like, oh, this is the devil. And we need to, <laughs> if you sneeze wrong, I'm. you got to go. Like, something's not right. Why the fuck am I talking about this? Okay. There's like nine things I want to follow up on in what you just said. But finish the plot summary for right, us. Right, I'm doing plot doing. summary. Yes. So, there's a party. And Peter's going to the party to hang out with his friends. And Annie's like, you have to take Charlie because she's a weird, awkward kid and I want to force socialization on her, which never works. It is never a good idea. Peter reluctantly takes her to the party, immediately leaves her to go smoke weed with a girl who is not interested in him at all, really. Not at all. No. She's really not feeling it. <laughs> not at all. And basically says, oh, hey, Charlie, there's some chocolate cake. Go eat some chocolate cake. Again, she has a peanut allergy. You maybe want to investigate what's in the cake before you tell her to go eat it. Just a thought. He's, he's trying to get laid. Right, but she could die. So, fine. Uh, so she eats the chocolate cake, and then immediately her throat closes up on her, basically. And so he has to rush her home. She leans her head out the window <laughs> to get some air. And... Boop. <laughs> it's really well shot. Head taken clean off by a, by a light pole. <laughs> This is what I'm saying about it being almost comedy. It's a little bit funny. Straight. It's a little bit funny. Because it really is. And I also, th- I mean, I think that scene is very well done. It is. I think the scene of him sitting in the car, not quite looking in the back seat yeah. in the rearview mirror, yeah. is very effective. It is. It is. Side note. <laughs> The symbol that was on Grandma's necklace in the coffin (laughs) and Annie was also wearing at the funeral is carved into the The light pole. pole. So this was not an accident. It was not an accident. Right. You're not not summarizing the movie for us. You're summarizing the demon plot. Yes, the demon plot. The the telephone pole was part of the plan. Manifest destiny of some sort. Yes. (laughs) So then Peter drives home with... Okay, so wait. Maybe this answers your question. Okay. The reason they had to kill Charlie was because of the peanut allergy. It was like, okay, she's got a peanut allergy. This isn't going to work long term. We got to get That's Paimon. a long ass way to go we for get that. Paimon out of char- the peanut allergy and into the stoner. So team. we're going to 
engineer her getting her head knocked off. The whole thing at is a high long speed way to go to get by where we're a light going. pole. The whole movie is a long, convoluted way to go to get where we're going. Fine. <laughs> so Peter drives home, <laughs> leaves the bitch in the car. <laughs> Goes up to the bedroom <laughs> and goes to sleep. <laughs> Doesn't tell anyone. Doesn't say shit. <laughs> Allows his mom to wake up the next day. I'm going out to get something. Be right back. <laughs> that's another great, that is a great scene too. Because it's just, just tight listening. on his face lying in bed, listening to her go downstairs, go out in the driveway. Hear the door close. <laughs> hear the car door open. She and then start the screaming. And she wails for like 20 minutes in the yes. film. <laughs> we cut to the funeral. We cut, And like she's screaming the whole time. Like she's just not stopped screaming. So even, again, both of these children were fucked up day one. <laughs> even before being possessed by a demon spirit, Peter's fucked up. Because that's well, a yeah. fucked up response to what just happened. Like I understand shock. Um, yeah. But you wake somebody up. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, you know what? I can't really process what just happened. I mean, first of all, he was really stoned. Still, that sobers <laughs> like, you up. When you're real that stoned, it's quick. like uh, I'll deal with that. Tomorrow. No, that that <laughs> is I can't deal no, with that tonight. You get sober real quick when you see your sister beheaded by a light pole. It's like oh, I should probably say something. Leave a note. <laughs> BT does. What would the note say exactly? <laughs> Don't look in the back seat. <laughs> Had an accident. So dead details later. <laughs> so Charlie's dead. So Charlie's dead. And then then we get into the like, okay, now we have to fully drive Peter to a point where he is desperate and broken enough that he can accept the spirit of Paimon. Okay, is that where are you getting that? I think that's what it is. <laughs> I think that's what okay, it is. I want to hear your evidence. Because they basically just then go through the whole, the rest of the film just driving him insane. And there was this whole thing, when she, when Annie goes through her mother's belongings, she finds a book that's like, spiritualism. Which, like, you didn't read that at some point? You didn't peruse? It's highlighted and shit? Just like, and then be like, oh, that's, mm." but it was like, you need to find someone who's vulnerable and like their spirit is something, something, it was something. Oh, did it say that? Okay, I missed that. All right. People need to read. These movies can be super short. (laughs) That's weird. I'm going to do something about that. So, yes. So, I think this was all about breaking Peter to a point where he could then accept Paimon as his personal I mean, he was pretty broken to start with. I mean, but not that. I mean, he was still, like, you know, he was just a sullen child. But they drove him to the point of sort of insanity, basically. Well, I mean, okay. Not to derail, but... There, there are things that come out during the course of this movie yes. that explain a lot about this family. Yes. Like the fact that Annie mm-hmm. once doused the children in paint thinner and was standing over them with a match mm-hmm. while they were sleeping. And I was standing there with a box of matches and an empty can of paint thinner. And I woke myself up striking the match, which also woke Peter up and he started to scream. And I immediately put the match out. Immediately. I mean, I was just as shocked as he was. And it was impossible to convince them that it was just sleepwalking. Which, of course it was. She was sleepwalking. (laughs) She tried to set her children on fire. She was sleepwalking. Wasn't her fault. Not a big deal. And she says, 
I think Peter still holds it against me. <laughs> Get over it, dude. <laughs> Sleepwalking. Yeah, I would I would hold that against you too. So yes, there I mean, I'm not saying that these kids grew up in a perfect home. They absolutely did not. Like Annie is clearly neurotic and has her own baggage that she is dumping on her kids and is clearly resentful of them and yet loves them, but she's not clear why she's resentful of them really. But you know, and again, that was her subconscious working to try to save them from their grandma. Oh, I see. That's a very noble reading of that. So you kill them so that she can't possess them with Paimon. Or it's her subconscious saying, I never wanted these goddamn kids But in they the didn't, first she place. didn't want the kids in the first place because she subconsciously knew that the grandma was looking okay, for her. Okay, well, that's where we get into what this whole movie is actually trying to say and all of that. But, okay, so de- let's stick with the demon. Okay. The demon, when does the demon get into Peter? The demon enters Peter after he flies through that window. Okay, but before that... He's in the school. Yes. And he goes all weird. Yes. And smashes his own face against the desk. Yes. So I think there's like a a minor possession in that moment. (laughs) It's in stages. Sidebar, he's going to school way longer than he should be going to school. Like he's still going to school through the grandma's funeral, through his sister's beheading. He should have taken some time off. I think they maybe should have pulled him out for a little while. Got him a little bit of, again, therapy and some help. Guidance counselor. Guidance been checking something. in on that kid. Like, this kid should not. And looking worse and worse as each yeah, day goes on. Yeah, look good. Kids shouldn't have been in school. <laughs> but, okay, he's going every day. But it's either go to school or stay home with mom. Still. Yeah, it's a tough call. No, or go, I, leave town. <laughs> um, so, yes, I think that, so there is a moment where he's sort of possessed, and that might have been just witchery, like maybe the cult was fucking with him or okay, something. Okay, sure. But, yes, he gets all distorted and distended in his body and then slams his own head into the desk and breaks his nose, basically, and goes home. And then at one point, Ann Dowd yells, I expel you from across the street. Mm-hmm. And that presumably is the last remnants of Peter. I like this theory you come out here that it was all about breaking Peter down mm-hmm. and then they get the last remnants of Peter out and mm-hmm. then Paimon can go in. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still have questions. I'm sure you do. I have questions too. So Paimon has been in Charlie this whole time. Yeah. Making her cut the heads off pigeons. I guess so. Is that all she was doing? Well, she was making weird shit. Like she was, oh, making, she weird, was making weird little, little things. talisman Eating thingies. a lot of chocolate. She did like chocolate a whole I don't know bunch. I what that was about. But. <laughs> I mean, I guess she, he made her. I mean, it's good Paimon for, made her you know, make that noise with her tongue just to annoy people. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, there's probably only so much you can do in a little girl with a peanut allergy. <laughs> And where was Paimon before Charlie? That I, I was unclear. They tried to put Paimon in the brother who committed right. suicide. That didn't work. I, I guess he returns to hell and waits. That's why I was like, was he in the grandfather, the, the one that starved himself to death? Hosts to be ready. Okay. Maybe, I don't. I don't really. We don't know. I don't know how that works. Okay. All right. Where? What? What in all of this would you like to talk about now? Gabriel Byrne is useless. Let's talk about Professor Bear. He is just. Feckless and... You want to talk about should have left town. He's the only character I relate to in this movie. And I said at one point, if I were him, I would just get in my car and just drive away. Well, again, you're not going to leave because people get attached to their kids. Another reason why you shouldn't have kids. kids. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you just didn't have kids, you could leave people. (laughs) It wouldn't even be like, I'm just going to go. But people get stuck because they have kids. This is an anti-kids movie, really. And I'm assuming at some point he and Annie get in an argument. I mean, they get into multiple arguments, but they get into one bad enough that he decides to go sleep on the couch and takes like eight sleeping pills. (laughs) He's drinking in every scene of this movie, too. Why the hell would you sedate yourself (laughs) 
when your wife is literally going crazy in the house and potentially harming herself. And has a penchant for. Or your children. Yeah. Or you. That seems stupid to me. You know, he's very ineffectual. But, like, that's dangerous to your own life. Like, no. If anything, you sleep with one eye open with that bitch in the house. And, uh, like, I don't, that doesn't, I don't understand anybody in this movie. And interestingly, he's a psychologist. Do they establish that? I think so. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. Okay. So. I just saw him at a desk. <laughs> a big wooden desk. I don't know what the fuck he did. So I think, you know, it, to the extent that this movie's about mental illness and whatever, his total impotence. To that's an indictment of, of that. Yeah. That, right. that <laughs> line of business. Oh, uh, yeah. So he's totally useless through the whole thing. At some point, Annie meets Anne Dowd. Right. Character actress Anne Dowd. See, that's, this is the thing. I was always like, oh, that should be Margot Martindale. <laughs> I was always hoping it no, was Margot No, okay. I think, I think Anne Dowd gets that rap as the, you know, when Margot Martindale isn't available, <laughs> you call Anne Dowd. <laughs> I think Anne Dowd is great. No, she's great. But I always wanted her in my Every time I saw her, I was like, oh, it's character actress. Oh, it's not character actress Margot Martindale. <laughs> she meets Anne Dowd at the grief group. Mm-hmm. And Anne Dowd presents herself as someone who has lost her son and grandchild mm-hmm. in a drowning accident. Right. And so develops this relationship with Annie and really sort of builds trust there to the point where Annie goes to her house one day and the welcome mat is embroidered in the exact same fucking way her mom's old mats were embroidered. Oh, my mom has something just like that. Really? That's weird. No more questions. <laughs> like that's a common thing that people do. Right. It was super intricate welcome and mats. detailed with her name on it. Yeah, that should have been a flag. No follow-up questions. <laughs> were, you, were you suspicious of yeah. character actress Anne Dowd right yeah. from the beginning? She came out of nowhere and it was like, oh, I want to be your best friend immediately. Anybody she literally like <laughs> jumps in front of Annie's car. <laughs> and then is like, hey, some random woman taught me how to do a seance. <laughs> Take this piece of paper and go do a seance at your house and and get Charlie back. Which Annie does. And she ropes Professor Baird and (laughs) Peter into it. And they're freaking the fuck out. And she's trying to explain to them, like, no, this is Charlie talking through me, blah, blah, blah. And at some point, she is possessed by... Charlie. Charlie. Mm -hmm. And starts speaking in, like, guttural tongues or whatever. (laughs) Professor Baird goes and just throws some water on her. He's like, all right, that's good. And then I think it's after that point that he takes the sleeping pills. This bitch just spoke. Tongues. Why are you? He's, he's gonna have some scotch and take a few pills. And this is the not the time to be unconscious and <laughs> not be able to get up. Anyway, so the spirit of Charlie has been awoken and is in the house and is active now. And she's drawing in her old book that she used to draw in, and what she's drawing is Peter's face <laughs> with his eyes scratched out like thirty times in a row, <laughs> like a flip book. <laughs> And, but it's the same picture. Like, there's yeah. no there's no change. Uh, he's dead in, in every one. And so Annie grabs the book and tries to set it on fire in the fireplace. But as soon as she puts it in the fireplace, she, her arm catches on fire as if she is somehow connected to the book. Yeah, that part gets real it's fuzzy odd. for me. And who's asleep in the background? Professor Baird. <laughs> <laughs> While this, she's on fire and he is unconscious. <laughs> So, yeah, there's some weird connection between Charlie's book and Annie's physical form. But then that gets a little bit complicated later in the movie. Mm-hmm. So we'll just... Where, where am I? <laughs> I don't... We're... You know... Uh, let's see. I mean, I think that's pretty close to the end here. Yeah. I think, I think we're about ready for Annie to go up into her attic. Yeah, so, I mean, Annie's state of mind is deteriorating quickly, as is Peter's, quite frankly. And she goes back through her mother's things... Finds the book again, and then also finds an album of photos of 
her mom with all of her cult members. cult friends. <laughs> Guess who's in it? Character actors, not Margot Martindale. <laughs> Wearing a necklace with the very same symbol on it, the symbol that we saw on a necklace that her mother mm. wore, that she wore, that was on the light pole that took <laughs> off Charlie's head. And so she goes up to the attic, and as soon as she opens the attic door, there's like all the flies. thousands of flies. All the flies in the world. <laughs> and goes up there, and there's a body. And it seems to be the body of her mom. Right, which Gabriel Byrne has gotten a call earlier in the movie from the cemetery saying, hey, somebody desecrated yeah. the grave. I don't think he ever tells her that. No, he decides to say nothing <laughs> to no one about that, because that's unimportant. So, yeah, the body's up there, and then it appears to be the same symbol is written in blood above mm, the body. Okay, sure. So she tries to convince Professor Bear that there's a body up there. He finally believes her, goes and looks and says, you did this. Like, you're the one that dug up your mom's grave, and you put the body up here. And she's trying to convince him Which that... Which is it- a... Not a completely unreasonable I mean, thing. It's pretty fucked up accusation. Right, but Tony Collette is crazy as shit basically throughout this entire movie. That's fine, then have her ass committed. <laughs> you are a professional. What are you doing? So then she tells him the story about the book and says, I think I know how to fix this. We have to burn, burn the, the book. book. But I can't do it because I'm afraid and I'll, I'll be set on fire if I try to burn it, so I need you to burn it. And this is where he decides to grow some balls. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not indulging you anymore. I'm not going to do this, Annie. And so she snatches the book from him, throws it in the fire, and poof, he goes up in flames. Why does he go up? I do not know. I think the book was trying, the book had to keep Annie alive, right? For some reason, she still needed to be alive. Professor Bear could die because he was not bloodline. He is not needed. Yeah. I don't know, dude. (laughs) I'm not sure why she was needed. Well, she... Because basically the next thing she does is cut her own head off with a wire. Yeah, but I mean, she helps to sort of trap Peter, sort of. Mm, Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It's a very long ritual. (laughs) So who knows how many of these steps are necessary. Uh, So that just leaves Annie and Peter alone in the house. And that's where we get Annie possessed. Creeping around the walls. Creeping around the walls. Skittering through the rooms. (laughs) And chasing Peter all through the house. Up into the attic. Oh, and then we start to see the cult members show up in the house. So the first one is the guy that had smiled at Charlie at the funeral is now in the house. I didn't catch that either. That was the same guy. And naked. (laughs) So Peter sees him and sort of runs away and Annie's chasing after him. And she chases him up into the attic. And he, you know, slams the attic door behind him. And he's like, mommy, mommy, mommy. At this point. She's no longer mommy, so you can stop calling her that. You can call her psycho bitch, sure, horrible woman, mm-hmm. Annie, crazy lady. Any of these options. See, I would have called her that when she dumped paint thinner on. Okay, me while she I was, was sleepwalking. You got to get over that. Another good scene though is the scene of Annie banging her head furiously against <laughs> the attic door because it's just it's it's just great. <laughs> but so he realizes he's in an attic with a dead body. No, the body's gone at that point. Right, the body. Somebody's taking the body. <laughs> right, because they have to set it. They have to stage. Right. The ritual in the in the in the in the surprisingly spacious treehouse. Yes. So the body's gone, but what's in its place is a picture of Peter with the eyes with sort the of eyes burned out. out. Burned out, right? Uh, and then we see more of the cult members emerge from the shadows in the attic all naked and sort of smiling weirdly at him. And then Annie is floating above him and is using, like, dental floss. 
<laughs> to sever her own to fucking saw head, her off. Own head off. And it's just like, shh, 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 shh. <laughs> as if somebody's playing with like the strings on their hoodie. It's very <laughs> that sort of movement. And he, rightfully so, freaks the fuck out and jumps out of the attic window, yeah. hits the ground. And then we see sort of a shadow move over him, which yeah. I assume is sort of his spirit finally like leaving. Or Paimon finally or, going into him. No, because then we get the light. Oh, okay. The that's light is, the I little see. light that seemed to represent Paimon's spirit okay. drift and sort of melt into his body. He wakes up, walks over to the treehouse and finds where we sort of started this conversation, which is all of his followers prone and naked and the wicker man thing of Charlie and they crown Peter slash Paimon as their lord. And though it. At that point, Joan calls him Charlie. She does call him Charlie. And maybe because he'd been in Charlie so long and it was Charlie's head on the Wicker Man thing. I don't know, dude. <laughs> okay. And that's pretty, that's the end That's of hereditary. Movie. Okay. Great summary. Now tell me what it all means. What do you mean what does it all mean? What's it all mean? Uh, like grief. <laughs> Family trauma. <laughs> I think it was, I think it's, you know, similar to Rosemary's Baby, which is really just about paranoia around womanhood and pregnancy and Mm -hmm. agency of a woman's body. This is a way to tell a story of family trauma and the way that we pass down pain and hurt in a very stylized way. This this is something else Ari Aster has said. And he has talked obliquely about how this is drawing on emotions, not incidents, but emotions from his own family. He said, I don't want to talk about my family and what happened, but mm-hmm. that it was very personal and, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And in an interview with Emily Vanderwerf, he said, One thing I love about genre filmmaking in general, and certainly the horror genre, is that you can take thematic material that may be harder for some people to digest, or material that you want to talk honestly about without having to compromise whatever your message might be. If you want to make a bleak drama about grief and trauma and people trying and failing to navigate tragedy, then you might very well end up with a wonderful film that either doesn't find distribution or doesn't get seen. Ultimately, I did want to make a film that was seriously tackling these issues and operating almost as a meditation on these things, while at the same time functioning as an exciting genre film that hopefully delivers. So I think he sees it as the movie is about grief and hereditary trauma and mm-hmm. families and all of that told through this horror genre, mm-hmm. transferred into the metaphor of demon possession. And I think that's where it just doesn't quite work for me. Okay. Because I I was with the film until I think the cult came in. <laughs> I was with it even as a horror metaphor when it seemed to just be about trauma and grief and mental illness passing down through this family. Once you get into the cult and the external forces, mm-hmm. then it all starts to break down for me because I don't know what that's a metaphor for. Because it's like the first two-thirds of the movie, it's a psychological film based in the emotions of this family. Mm-hmm. And then really it turns out none of that actually matters. Like this oh, could have been the healthiest, most communicative, loving family in the world. <laughs> they still would have been fucked over by this cult that was manipulating them. But they were never you know going to be saying? the healthiest. I mean, because Ellen, the grandmother, was all, was a part of the cult. And so she sort of passed that down to her family. So it was never going to be a healthy family. They were always going to be somehow malformed by that and susceptible. Maybe it's, I, I don't know. But I mean, and then there's the thing of, you know, Annie's an artist and she deals in miniatures. And Aster was playing a lot with... You know, starting the shot, we're looking at a miniature replica replica of their home and then zooming into 
that shot and then all of a sudden we're in the actual home. Right. So it's about... And as know, the movie proceeds, that home starts yeah, to look more and more like A dollhouse right. sort of thing. Yeah. And so it is very much about like, these are people who don't necessarily have agency, that there is this sort of outside force that is moving them through their spaces and, and sort of controlling their behaviors. Hmm. I, I guess I just don't know what it's trying to say. And it feels like it's trying to say something. And I think I'm just not getting the message. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, other than family trauma is a, a bummer. I don't know that it's saying more than that. <laughs> and it gets passed down to the kids. Right. And it gets... like, I don't know that it's saying a whole lot more. Okay. I think it's trying to do it in an entertaining way. I don't know that it's saying a lot more than that. But maybe it is, and I'm also missing it. I don't know. And I th- I think this is part of, and maybe I should just, I just, I think I just don't like this kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not that I don't think it's well done. I'm not sure about the script, but I think it's well acted. I think it's well directed. For me, it's a, I think the, the combination of making it a puzzle movie where you're trying to figure out what's happening and mm-hmm. you don't have enough information to figure it out all the way through. Mm-hmm. So that makes it like an intellectual thing, but then it's this like super intense emotional melodrama at the same time. Like I feel like those two things are at counter purposes mm. where I'm not sure I actually cared about any of these people. Hmm. So I think there's a disconnect where it's like, you want me to figure this out, but you also want me to be invested in invested in it on an emotional level. I think there's a disconnect there for me mm-hmm. where it's like, I can do one or the other, but don't ask me to do both simultaneously. Hmm. We haven't talked about Tony Collette. She's amazing. Tony Collette. I mean, there's a scene in, um, and I know you hate this movie. The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. That yes. breaks my heart every you, time you I see it. talked about it on here before. She's in that car and... The kid is telling her about the, you know, that he talked to his grandma, her mom, about this, like, bumblebee pin. <laughs> and she, her face just cracks. <laughs> Tony Collette just has one of those faces yeah. that it is so malleable and expressive. And she flies between rage and fear and sadness with such just fluidity. Like, she's, she really is a force through this whole film. Like, I was tired watching her because I was just like, you are working your ass off yeah. in this <laughs> That The scene at the dinner table. I fucking <laughs> love that scene. Is there something on your mind? Is there something on your mind? It just seems like there might be something you want to say yeah like what i mean why would i want to say something so i could watch you sneer at me sneer at you i don't ever sneer at oh, you oh sweetie you don't have to you get your point across okay so fine then say what you want to say then Peter. i don't want to say anything i've tried saying okay things. so try again release yourself oh release you you mean yeah fine release me just say it just fucking say it don't you swear at me you little shit don't you ever raise your voice at me. I am your mother. Do you understand? All I do is worry and slave and defend you. And all I get back is that fucking face on your face. So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. Well, now your sister is dead. And I know you miss her. And I know it was an accident, and I know you're in pain, and I wish I could take that away for you. I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did, but your sister is dead. She's gone forever. And what a waste. If it could have maybe brought us together or something. If you could have just said, I'm sorry, or faced up to what happened, maybe, Pam, we could 
do something with this, but you can't take responsibility for anything. So now I can't accept and I can't forgive because, because nobody admits anything they've done. And again, I feel like these movies just say something about my psyche and like, <laughs> it is really good that I don't have children because I just like people sort of <laughs> taking the shit out of their kids. Yeah. But she says something like, all I get back is that fucking face on your face. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I loved it because I hate when people are like permissive of their kids who are just being dicks to be dicks. And then granted, Peter has a reason to be just like pissed at his mom. He really Absolutely does. Absolutely yes. does. And yet, I love that she was just like, you fucking look at me with that face and I hate you. <laughs> and again, Gabriel Byrne is like, we should, we should stop. We should stop this. We should stop this. I'm going to continue to eat my chicken. Why are you here? What's your purpose? You should have your license revoked. But she does a good job. I think she did. After- but I also think, okay, so what it made me think of was the problem Stephen King had with uh, Kubrick's The Shining mm-hmm. was that Jack Nicholson was crazy Already from crazy. go. Yeah. <laughs> like, The Shining is a story about a good guy who goes crazy, mm-hmm. and Jack Nicholson was crazy from the go. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit how I feel about Tony Collette in this movie, too. Well, but we're catching her in the middle of trauma. Like, her mom had already died. That's, that's true. Her brother that's had fair. died. Her father had died, all in very devastating ways. So this is a woman who's been living with some sort of mental illness and depression for a while. So it's not like we're seeing her and her life's been happy to this point. It hasn't been. It's been really quite traumatic. So I... For that, so I understand the point, but I think that they're like it, she. I don't know how she could have shown up. Now it doesn't take much to push her for. for <laughs> no, it, no, it really doesn't. So I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think. I think I just struggle with trying to figure out with trying to read the movie as a metaphor, and mm-hmm. I don't think any of the metaphors quite work. But it feels like you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Like I was working on, I was like trying to think about, is it about, and I'm not, I wouldn't say that, you know, oh, Ariastri is Peter or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you view Peter as the artist and the way that trauma and mental illness in a family gets turned into art, mm-hmm. because Annie makes art. Annie, that's, Annie has basically re, trying to rebuild her entire life in miniature as an artist. That's what she does. To the point where Gabriel Byrne comes in and she's recreated the telephone pole scene, yeah. including the head with the ants crawling on it and everything. It's fucked up. <laughs> but that's sort of working backwards from the idea that Paimon is supposed to bring riches and is supposed mm-hmm. to bring success mm-hmm. and whatever, right? So it's like the successful artist who has inherited this generational trauma and turned it into worldly success. Well, he brings riches and success to those who worship him and who help to sort of bring him to the world. Like that was the whole, I think the whole reason why Ellen and her crew were trying to bring him back or bring him to Earth, was because he would then enrich them beyond whatever. Right. So I think I was just working backwards from, okay, you've got a director who has a hit movie and has made millions of Mm -hmm. dollars, and working backwards from that being, okay, but that's several generations of fucked up shit Mm -hmm. dumped on that one kid's head. Isn't that a lot of art, though? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm I'm like, okay, is is that what it's a metaphor for? Uh, I mean, sure, possibly... 
I don't know about him being Peter or that sort of thing, but I don't know. I mean, it may, it may not be a whole lot. I mean, it may be if you stripped all the horror stuff away and it's just a story about grief and trauma and mental illness and it's just a story about grief and trauma and mental illness. The Paimon shit is the shit that he thought he needed to put in to make it sell. Well, that's what uh, one of the producers said. Producer Lars Knudsen said, If you remove all the horror from Hereditary, the film still works as a family drama. At its core, that's what it's about. And I feel that horror movies that stand the test of time are the ones that have something to say about the human condition. And I think that's the part I'm not sure about, because I don't know what it's saying. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, these people are fucked up and should not have had children. (laughs) And yes, fucked up families beget fucked up families that Mm -hmm. generational trauma is a real thing Mm -hmm. and some people like annie probably shouldn't have children and if they do like you said those kids should be in therapy but is that our takeaway from this is that all there is to it because like you said when you started it feels like a long way to go to get there yeah i don't find that ending satisfying at all I mean, it's definitely not, you said it was like number three on that list that you referenced? Yeah. I would Ahead of like The Babadook, which yeah, I do feel I really like, like that. Yeah. is about motherhood yeah. and has real things to say. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm where I started this conversation, which is I enjoyed the pieces. I don't know that I enjoyed the whole. Okay. I mean, it's interesting. It was, a, you know, it's a swing. <laughs> <laughs> you got to respect that. <laughs> so. yeah, I'm maybe just overthinking it. I don't know. It's a beautifully shot movie. Yes. Um, and the cast is good. Millie Shapiro, who plays Charlie, mm-hmm. is very good. She is. She's very creepy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and the actor who plays Peter, I think, has a lot to have to carry in this film, and he does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Tony Collette's film. Look, it just is. All right, do you have favorite any favorite parts we haven't talked about? No. Decapitation by Light Pole was good. <laughs> Uh, Tony Collette creeped up in a corner and a shadow was good. He did some cool things with exterior shots where it would sort of be daylight and then blink and then be night. Yes, yeah. Which I thought I was like that. cool. I also, there were some long exterior shots that I think might have been miniatures. Mm. There were some shots of like the house and the trees and things that I'm not sure if they were miniature or real, yeah. which I think is cool. Yeah. And I did think the score was well done. Yeah. Again, I liked the pieces. The okay. whole, and not that I didn't like the whole, but I don't know that I need to watch Hereditary again. No, and I'm tempted to watch it again just because I still there's still something that's just bugging me about whether it's actually saying anything profound or just pretending to. Mm-hmm. And I think movies irritate me when I feel like you want us to think that you're saying something deep here, and I don't think you are. Mm-hmm. But I think I think I'm just gonna let this one yeah, go. I think, you gotta let I think it go. I'm just gonna say, you know what? Not not my tempo. You want to do a séance? No. We got a, we have a glass here on the table. Yeah, no, I'm wanna, not gonna. Just put your just put your hand on the glass for me. Because that ended well for everyone involved. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like respect the the veil. Just leave shit where it's Don't like no. Fuck with shit. Just. But again, these people weren't even. I mean, they started to do that, but they were yes. screwed before they before they did. No, they absolutely were. But um, you know, once you let your mom breastfeed your child, I think <laughs> you get what's coming to you. <laughs> Words to live by. (laughs) That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we bring the Unenthusiastic Critics 2020 Halloween Movie Marathon to a close. Nikia, we've been doing this three years now. We've watched... I don't know, what, 15, 20 horror movies? Too many. And I always ask you, were you scared? And you always say no. 
Which, I mean, one of the reasons we do this is because you have presented yourself mm -hmm. as a giant pussy when it comes to horror movies. Wow. That, oh, you're scared so easily. Not, you're never actually scared I never said I was scared movies. easily. I said I didn't enjoy being scared. Okay. So, check your facts. And maybe there's, I grant, there may be something about this process that is not conducive to mm -hmm. actually being scared at a movie. Because you're going into it with a critical eye or whatever. And... You're also just picking shitty movies <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> but continue. So, this year I want to try to get at least one movie that I think will actually creep you out. Okay. Uh, and knowing you as I do and knowing how your mind works and the sort of paranoia you have... <laughs> I think the movie to go with is Brian Bertino's The Strangers from 2008. Okay. Is that the home invasion one? Home invasion, people with creepy doll masks. Yeah, that might do it. I think it's a genuinely creepy movie. Sure. So we'll see how that goes and see if we can actually get you to sleep with the lights on and as you have been known to do at times, sleep with a knife under your pillow. That's just smart. <laughs> That's not even about <laughs> scary shit. That's about, you know, protecting yourself from potential invaders so or me or you yeah in the meantime you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com follow us on twitter at free range critic and subscribe to the show through apple podcasts or your favorite app in any of these places we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film that kia desperately needs to see to make her life complete until next time remember true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really really don't want to watch